This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. In the financial industry, security is paramount. As the world moves online and technology becomes more sophisticated, so do hackers and scams. The advantages of levering technology have just skyrocketed with the impact of COVID-19, but preventing systems breaches can make the difference between customer loyalty and customer attrition. In China, biometric security is rapidly being adopted as a safe and easy way to handle financial transactions securely. Will COVID-19 be the thing that pushes North American banks to begin implementing these security measures on a wide scale? Today, we're talking to Nick Hallis, Vice President of Sales at Dayon, an innovator in developing and deploying biometric authentication and identity assurance solutions worldwide about the why and the how of biometric security. Welcome, Nick. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about how you came to be interested in biometric security? Sure. So I've uh, I've been in the IT software space for a little over 25 years. Uh, I'd say I spent the last uh, 15 in security and the last 10 in biometrics, uh, biometrics authentication security, I should say. I got very interested in it um, many years ago, uh, primarily because I was using my password for many of my accounts, whether they be uh, uh, business or personal. Uh, I started to realize that you know my Yahoo account or my Gmail account. Uh, password was the same as my um, banking account, as well as my 401k account. And at some point, as as you know, with proliferation of devices uh, and applications, I started using more and more of the same passwords, uh, not only with all my accounts, but started adding them to, to sticky pads. Uh, and at some point, uh, rather than using the same one, I would use variations of it. And I said, you know, there's got to be an easier way to do this, right? An easier way to maybe uh, just get rid of passwords altogether. Uh, and started doing some due diligence and, and looked at uh, biometric technology primarily as it was being employed back then, which was primarily at uh, uh, Customs and Border Patrol and, you know, airport security terminals. Uh, and so, you know, the net, that was, just, you know, maybe because a little of me is intrinsically a uh, procrastinator and sometimes a little lazier, I said that there's got to be a better way for, for us to be able to authenticate. What better way by doing that than using your, you know, your human attributes? Yeah, so I mean, I, I absolutely hear you and I, I am guilty as well of having, you know, the same password for multiple things and then you change it and you can't remember what you changed it to and you have to go back to your email and change it all over again and get the code to your phone and it's just such a pain. But for some people, I think the idea of biometric security still feels a, a little bit futuristic. Can you just give us a level set and tell us like, what are we actually able to implement today in 2020? That's a great question, Melinda. You could absolutely say that to some it seems futuristic, right? Uh, we we take a look at it and say, you know, we should be getting rid of passwords because they are archaic, right? They're, you know, we're 40, 50 years old at this point. Um, you know, not going back to the Stone Ages, of course. But, you know, being frictionless, you know, and inserting, you know, Melinda or Nick into the transaction as, as opposed to the password, right? Someone that's you know 90 years old of age, 90 years of age, uh, or 21 years of age should be able to easily and seamlessly and frictionlessly authenticate themselves, you know, into their account. Uh, I would say that with the proliferation of smartphones and, and and primarily what Apple has done and Samsung with Touch ID and Face ID has made that less futuristic. Uh, I would say that you know five six years ago people would have been very hesitant to use their fingerprint to authenticate. 
uh, and or use their face to authenticate. And I think Apple, primarily as the leader there at the time, really did a great job uh, making consumers feel much more um, comfortable in, in using you know, biometrics uh, to, to log into their device. Uh, today, we're able to utilize face, finger, voice, iris, behavioral, uh, and so you're seeing that happen and proliferate in many channels. We call that an omni-channel environment. So whether you're in a branch, whether you're you, you know on the web, whether you're using your mobile device, or even wanting to to um, to authenticate a call center, people want to be able to secure their identity, and biometrics can assist in doing that and building trust. And why is it better than what we've got now? I mean, obviously we talked about the, just trying to keep track of your passwords is a big struggle for people, but in terms of security, why is it better? So we always like to say biometrics is, is probabilistic, right? It's, it's not yes or no, it's not binary. So biometrics typically uh, is more secure in, in a layered approach to current environments. Uh, you, ha you have to remember, you know, today, you know, you've got to remember your password for, you know, 50 different accounts. I, I know that last year, Global Security Report said that 65% of consumers use the same password for all of their accounts. And, and I'm certain that, that that could even be higher, right, if you start to include both work and personal accounts. Uh, I would say that it's also very difficult to spoof biometrics. Um, so making it easier and more secure for, for us as a consumer or customer. The fact that I can humanly authenticate whether I'm using my finger, my face, or my voice, or, or my eye, uh, eye, eyes, um, just make it easier and frictionless and, and convenient. And, and I think it's important, too, to, to remember that uh, using biometrics typically uh, is, is great when you offer a choice. So if I'm perhaps in a train station where it might be very loud, I may want to use my, uh, my face or my finger. Right? Whereas if perhaps I'm in a dimly lit restaurant and I can't necessarily use my face, I may want to use my finger or my voice. So the, the, the opportunity to have convenience and, and a choice uh, makes for a, not only a, a great user experience, but also uh, allows for better security as, as part of that layered approach. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so you're out there talking to financial brands that are considering this kind of technology. What are some of their concerns about moving in this direction? So it's a great question, Melinda. And I first I want to mention, you know, I've been here at Dayana for four years in March. And when I first came on board, and this is just Nick speaking, I felt that we were kind of still in that, uh, you know, leading forward technology-wise. I think a lot of banks were talking about, I don't know, maybe if, you know, perhaps uh, fast forward to you know, 2020, even 2019, and we've moved beyond if and more about when. Uh, some of the challenges, uh, I think that they're, uh, or I should say not challenges, but concerns is, one is, you know, speed to market, right? Uh, they're seeing that many financial institutions today are using biometrics, you know, and, uh, and obviously they don't want to not have the same service offerings to their consumers. So you may have X Bank, you know, in New York and Y Bank in New Jersey, and they obviously want to compete for the same consumers. And uh, particularly now with you know, millennials uh, really having moved to digital banking channels uh, and even looking at baby boomers that are now more and more using their smartphones, it's really kind of the perfect storm for deploying biometrics in that scenario. So the first, the first answer would be speed to market. Uh, I think some of the challenges around that is that there are many stakeholders when deploying a biometric system uh, and getting them all on the same page with the same priorities in, in large organizations can be a, a, a little bit challenging or daunting. So being able to convince the right people within an organization uh, about the ease of deployment 
and the, and the real quick wins that they would get with their um, you know, net promoter score. For example, USAA attributes their high net promoter score to you know, one of many factors, and one of those being the fact that we're very easy and convenient to use. And, and of, of course, as you probably roll aware, USA has been a leader in kind of net promoter, net promoter score indexes. So it's, it's really kind of depends on the organization, but I think at the end of the day, it's more about speed to market deploying a solution and a solution that's been in, in production with others, right? Not kind of the science project of we're in the wild now and how is this really going to interact with our consumers or even our employees? Yeah, that, I mean, that definitely resonates with the same sort of things that we see when we're working with financial brands is that getting everybody on the same page and then how can we implement this, especially if we have a huge network of branches, how do we do that? That is always a challenge. So as I mentioned in the intro, um, in China, people are happy to pay with a face scan. Um, can you tell us about some of the ways in which Chinese consumers are using these technologies in their daily lives? I mean, they're, they're so far ahead of us. It's really interesting to see what they're, they're up to over there. Yes, no, I would, I would definitely concur with you um, and, and agree wholeheartedly with regards to where China is, you know, in, in deploying biometrics with the rest of the world. Uh, first and foremost, you know, China and even Asia as a whole, uh, really kind of leapfrog the world as it relates to, you know, the use of uh, mobile devices and how they use those mobile devices, right? It's not just, you know, text somebody to call somebody, you know, it's now, you know, with Alibaba and, and, and buying online or whether you're on a mobile device or banking, uh, going to a grocery store. I, I even saw a video recently where, you know, they were authenticating, uh, you know, uh, getting a, a train ticket. Uh, and then at one stop, they were, you know, uh, buying their, their groceries with a card not present by a metric algorithm using their face. And then when they would get to their um, station at, at home, uh, their groceries were ready for them to be picked up and, and taken home. Uh, you name it, any way of, uh, of, you know, using digital commerce in, in China uh, and, and utilizing biometrics has made it very seamless and frictionless for, for the consumer. Uh, so much so, you know, uh, that I'm not very well aware of this, Melinda, but, you know, back in 2016, uh, a, biometric face, uh, a biometric algorithm provider was acquired by Ant Financial, you know, Ant's uh, part of Alibaba, uh, and embedded that technology within their mobile app, uh, and then shortly thereafter throughout all of, you know, the apps that are related to that ecosystem. So biometrics has uh, been an important part of, of, uh, of, of digital commerce. Uh, and we can only see that growing um, throughout their economy as well as the globe. So, I mean, if we look in the context of a North American market, and I'm thinking specifically about more conservative markets in the U.S. where consumers might have a fear of governments or corporations having access to personal information, banks might have to work a lot harder to convince those consumers that biometric security is in their best interest. So how do you think brands can build that trust? Yeah, we've, we're a global company. We have a, a big, uh, big office um, in Dublin that covers our, our MIA market uh, as well as in Canberra, Australia. Now, the reason I say that is, is you're really well aware of GDPR and PSG2 and what, what happened there over the last few years. And, uh, and that slowly has trickled over here to the U.S. with, you know, CCPA in California and some, um, you know, some other kind of smaller, I shouldn't say smaller, but security-related legislation, for example, what's going on in New York and piece, uh, parts of Texas. So we're really well, well aware of that, and we have, uh, we have kind of addressed that with two parts of our solution. One is what we call FIDA, which is Fast Identity Online. Uh, and that's an alliance, and essentially what that allows for is device-side 
uh, are using your mobile device for authentication. So nothing is being stored on the server. So there's no real way of accessing any of those records because they are stored locally to your device. Um, but then we have other organizations that want to use server side um, that you know can either retain the templates as we will call them, the, the raw images, um, which would be the raw image of your face, so a picture of your face, or the ability to just have a template, which would be a template you know of X's and O's of your um, uh, you know of your face, which would would really kind of mask that as well. So those are the ways that you can kind of alleviate the fear of you know of that PII data. And then again, you know, back to, you know, Apple and Samsung and, and how they've really made something that was um, of concern regarding PI to something that's kind of mainstream in life today, you know, being able to authenticate your, you know, using your finger or face to, uh, to, to get into your, not only get into your, you know, your mobile device, but into, you know, absolute use uh, to shop and bank with daily. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think banks are going to have to have a tiered strategy on that for, you know, markets that might be earlier adopters than others. Yeah. We're dealing with today with COVID-19 and people being forced to use digital banking, even if they weren't previously really using it. I would think now is a good time for banks to start accelerating their move towards biometric uh, security. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Absolutely. We've, we've definitely seen a very large uptick uh, in digital transformation initiatives that have included biometric authentication as part of uh, COVID-19. Uh, we're seeing you know, a lot more in, interaction. We've seen a huge uptick in, 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 uh, in, in transactions that have occurred in digital channels, whether it be you know, web or mobile. Uh, and we feel that you know, the, the new norm as we, as we come to hear about you know, interactions uh, at a branch or, or at an ATM or any of your digital channels, uh, will make it uh, much more convenient and, and, and a lot less friction in using biometric authentication to do so. So, again, our, our vision of identity continuity, so having that, that same, look, same look and feel, whether you're in a mobile, web, branch, a call center channel, uh, and having that, that concept of identity continuity throughout that, that kind of that, that, that consumer life cycle. So, we have definitely seen a huge uptick. We've even hear, heard discussions, and we've actually had some internal rumblings here at the company around a, uh, a COVID-19 passport, right? So being able to, you know, digitally onboard you uh, and then start to keep some of those records. Uh, don't know if it will come to fruition per se or not, but as you start to go out, interact, you know, as things open up in this country, uh, perhaps having something that can kind of provide uh, details as to where you've been and, you know, whether you've been tested or whether you've contracted COVID uh, to allow you to kind of move, move more freely in, in the open marketplaces, as I mentioned, as things open up. So. Definitely seen a, a big move there uh, and has really kind of pushed digital channels and digital transformation you know, at, a quicker, at a quicker pace than we've seen over the last two years. One of the big advantages I can see is that in the branch itself, if I need to go into the branch, I don't want to touch that, that pin pad. I'd rather be able to have my voice or my eyes scanned so that I don't have to touch things. Are you seeing interest in that? So we've seen a lot. We've had a lot of inquiries uh, from uh, top tier banks here in the U.S. around that new norm contactless, um, you know, uh, consumer experience in the branch. Uh, one has been, you know, in the form of kiosk, as you mentioned, using your face uh, or your uh, or your even your voice, right, to have that contactless experience. We've also had some that have wanted to 
potentially use the mobile device and the QR code. So imagine walking up to a teller, authenticating yourself on your mobile device, and then providing him or her, the teller, with a, a QR code that they can then scan to verify your identity. Uh, so we've had a lot of interesting and great discussions around that. I think um, you know many in the in the marketplace are still trying to see what that new norm uh, might look like. But you know, not only within banking, but a lot of brick and mortar stores have been very interested in how they can authenticate users and uh, allow users to you know procure goods using you know their 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 face and their voice. So that's a great question, and we've absolutely seen a very large uptick in that in the last two months. Yeah, that's a great point. That's not just relevant to banks. That other retail brands are going to need to start thinking about this as consumers are not going to want to touch things within their environments. So you mentioned earlier that one of the concerns that banks have is about the speed to market. Can you tell us a little bit about the process of adopting this kind of system? You know, how long does it take and, and what happens? Sure. Well, I, I'm um, pretty fortunate that I sit, you know, um, in a seat with a company that has a product that's it's really kind of off the shelf. It doesn't require a lot of customization per se. It's very easy to integrate. You know, talk to a lot of other kind of point players, and it requires a lot of customization. And you know, uh, each customer is unique. It requires you know some 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 more legwork in actually standing it up into a production environment. Typically, our customers, I would say particularly for the banking sector, typically about 12 weeks. And the reason for that is, you know, a variety of reasons, right? Whether the customer wants to host the solution on their own premises, uh, whether they want Dayon to host it in the public cloud, how many resources they're going to allot for it, you know, do they have the infrastructure in place already, for example, server and databases, they're going to put it on-prem, do they have the right resources, you know, are they junior in nature, are they senior in nature, you know, we've got a a top five bank that you know has you know half a dozen junior programmers on board, so it makes things a little more challenging. Um, you know, is the organization you know is their is their banking platform up to spec? Do they have a you know uh, is their mobile app ready to go? Uh, so there's numerous factors in relation to that. But I would say at the end of the day, it's typically about 12 weeks. We actually have, have had you know uh, a Fortune 10 company banking customer that was up in nine days. Of course, we were hosting it, and they were ready to go with their mobile app. So I hate to use the word it depends, but I would say 12 weeks is typically you know, how long it would typically take to, to implement a solution like this. So if I was a financial brand and I want to start integrating a biometric system, what would be the top three things that I would need to do? So first and foremost, you want to make sure that you have, as I mentioned before, an out-of-box solution, you, know, you can call it a COTS product. Uh, it does not require a lot of customization, you know, and integration plugins are, are ready to go day one. You know, you, you look at some organizations and they may pay, you know, X for the, for the software and then they're going to pay 10X for the customization and professional services. So you get really got to be, you know, cognizant of where that product is in its maturity life cycle. Uh, secondarily, I'd, I'd love to say that you want to work with a biometric vendor that's been around for a while. And that has numerous production customers. Uh, before COVID-19, we would attend trade shows on a, on, a, on a monthly basis, and we would chuckle because we, you know, we used to call it, you know, two guys in a garage that bought an algorithm. Now they're a biometric, you know, authentication firm. And, and you also want to make sure that you have numerous customers in production because, as we call it, kind of the, the wild, wild west. You know, you, you know, it's the little things that you may forget that are very important from a user experience perspective. For example, when we first rolled out. You know, USA five, six years ago, we realized that, you know, it was best to have an oval so that folks would know where to put their face when they were going to, you know, authenticate using their face. 
and so just little things that people don't realize that are important um, when you start to you know deploy this uh, amongst consumers with 10, 20 million users uh, is making it easier for them to not only be able to authenticate, but more importantly, to enroll. And then and lastly, I think the ability to tune your platform uh, that addresses convenience and security for, for their customers, right? We have certain organizations that you know rolled out, for example, first production pilots to say wealth management, right? Kind of the white glove customer features um, that may say have a hundred thousand users, and then roll out, you know, roll out the you know the retail bank that might have six million users. But the ability to tune that platform so that you can make it convenient for for you know for good actors, uh, and maybe tune it uh, to make it more difficult from a security setting for perhaps bad actors. So those are the three things I think you, you really need to consider. Uh, most importantly, when, when considering, you know, um, integrating a biometric authentication system. Uh, and, and I guess at the end of the day, it's really a firm that knows what they're doing and has been around for a while. That makes a lot of sense, especially when we're talking about people's financial security. You don't want to take any risks. So, I mean, that's fantastic advice. And I know that a lot of um, banks are thinking about this right now if they haven't already started the process. So I am going to link in the podcast description. If you want to get in touch with Nick at Dayon, I'll have a link so that it's easy for you to do that. And thank you so much for for sharing all these thoughts with us today. Thank you, Melinda. Hope uh, hope you stay safe and and, uh, look forward to continued discussions. I'm sure you're as tired as I am of hearing about the new normal, and that being said, if there ever was a time to prioritize biometric authentication, it's now while things are in such flux. Consumers are going to be looking for a touchless experience, so if freedom from passwords wasn't a good enough reason to move to biometrics, maybe this will be the motivating factor and the reason customers will be willing to shift their behavior. If you're already on this journey, we welcome you to get in touch and let us know what you've learned. We're always interested to find out. Don't forget to subscribe to Think Retail on iTunes or Spotify, and thanks for listening. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time, we discuss how financial brands can use design thinking to set themselves apart. We hope you'll join us.